0: Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans Podcast. This is episode 132. Today we have David Shar, who uh, wears a lot of hats like a lot of our guests. He's a keynote speaker, consultant, uh, trainer. Uh, he's got a lot of experience with psychology and business owner and a lot of entrepreneurial pursuits coming to us today from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, great conversation. He covers all kinds of great topics. And listen to the end because he told an excellent story. Uh, involving his kids and uh, purpose and meaning and all these things in life that uh, I think you'll find kind of a poignant story. At least I did. Just tons of great content and uh, available for all kinds of great things, but uh, brought us some, you know, tons of value out of charge. You had $5,000 to listen today, but guess what? Merry Christmas, happy holidays, no charge. <laughs> or if you listen to this any time, other time of the year, happy Valentine's, happy 4th of July. Anyway, I digress. Before we jump into that, I want to remind you, as always, you're absolutely priceless and you're never alone. At this time of year, a lot of people get uh, down and uh, there's a lot of things going on in society. Uh, Again, you're not alone in all that, whether it's the whole thing with the coronavirus and uh, everything there. I feel like we're at the beginning of the end. That's my hope. I know people have different views on this whole vaccine thing. Uh, You know, someone (laughs) shared something the other day on Facebook. I saw that I kind of chuckled that said... uh, you know, you've been eating hot dogs and mcchickens your whole life, yet you're worried about what's in this vaccine. I'm not there to tell anyone what to do, what to think, or anything. Uh, we share what we feel are true principles here. But good. go do your research, watch those taking this vaccine, and I, I feel like this is going to help tremendously. There's certainly a documented history of vaccines uh, with pandemics and with uh, especially just things in general. Kids used to have polio all the time and stuff. We we don't really deal with that anymore. Um, anyway, I digress, but you are absolutely priceless. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. You're above the monetary systems. That means you're without price. Uh, we've had, we had actually a podcast called You Are Priceless. We talked about someone had a face transplant, and it was like a million dollars. Your face is worth a million dollars, let alone all the rest of you and the depths of your heart, mind, and spirit. Uh, so keep that in mind. Our challenges, study, keep studying, start studying, set some goals as we go into a new year here. 2020 was a wacky year. Let's frame it right. Let's, let's take the lessons learned. You, you don't lose in life. You either win or you learn. Let's learn with all this that we've been through. Let's learn to unite as a human species, as a society, as a society globally, as we study, learn and grow, find those principles and things that are going to accentuate that kind of principle. Uh, So tons of resources. I've been using Hoopla Digital. I've been listening to some old Tony Robbins stuff, Uh, Awaken the Giant Within, I just uh, listened to, and some other things like that. But find what resonates with you and and what means something and uh, study, learn, grow. Stay aligned with something that that keeps you in a bright, light place because uh, life tends to yank us out of that. Like an instrument, we're constantly tuning, like a guitar. I've got too many analogies. Uh, Our second challenge uh make great moments of course that's always with loved ones family members not always it could be people you don't know it could be uh you know serving helping loving lifting all these various things with uh, other human beings around us and uh, trust me there's tons of need out there and i promise whatever we're going through going and helping and lifting others uh somehow diminishes a lot of that a lot of the feelings surrounding it at least just in the act of lifting and helping and serving others so find whatever that is, surprise and do all these things. Leave a leave a note. Do the little things. The little things make all the difference. Uh, all these various things just to help uh, make great moments in your life uh, with those that matter. Kids, family, uh, spouse, whatever the case might be. And of course, the last challenge, my friends, let's keep doing this podcast together. I'm really excited to bring you this interview. We had an excellent conversation. And like I say, stick around to the end for this story from David. And uh, without further ado, here is our conversation with the one and only David Shar. We are pleased today to welcome David Shar, who is a keynote speaker and a trainer, uh, businesses, consultant, of course, uh, psychology, all these uh, amazing hats that you wear, David. How are you today, my friend? Not bad, Phil. Thanks so much for
1: having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be on here with you.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you. I, uh, I'm always interested in folks who work with uh, business people in general because business i mean such a big part of what we are in america and these days with this covid nonsense it's kind of uh it's kind of got a lot of twists and turns as well but uh let's dig in where are you coming to us from today i'm in uh baltimore maryland oh okay so you're east coast and i'm in pacific time here in here in vegas so (laughs) baltimore it's funny i've been talking yeah vegas is a little more exciting than baltimore yeah, not so much these days. It's uh, it's it's mostly <laughs> we're at like twenty percent capacity of of normal times. But anyway, wow. are you from Baltimore originally?
1: Yeah, born and raised. Baltimore is one of those places where you, a lot of people don't seem to be able to escape. You know, we've got a lot of family and friends here, so we have no intention of leaving. Uh, it's it's this like small feel to a bigger city. Um, and, and, uh, people, when they're born here, they, they tend to stick around.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that's, I, I've actually heard that. Cause I, oddly enough, in some of my own business dealings, I've dealt with a lot of folks in Maryland, uh, <laughs> recently, and I found boy, hmm. a lot of these folks just born raised and just stay in Maryland. and must be a great place enough to stay. <laughs> I haven't spent enough time there to, to say so for myself. I know you had a super bowl winning team a little while ago, but, <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's like, it's like when,
1: when we, when we vacation, I always, we're always going to these really interesting places. And then we come back to Baltimore and I ask my wife, why, why do we live here? What's, what's so special about here? And she says, exactly. You know, everything's sort of middle of the road in Baltimore. So (laughs) it it feels like, it feels like home.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're right near DC, which probably gets old. I don't know how close Baltimore is to DC, but it's certainly closer than Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah definitely. It's less. It's less than an hour,
1: but because of that, we rarely go. You, yeah. know, you you typically take advantage of take take things for granted when they're right in your backyard. I find.
0: Well, yeah, it's like I grew up in New Mexico, and lots of people come to town and go to like the Balloon Fiesta or Santa Fe. And of course, I, you know, mm-hmm. balloon Fiesta is right in town. So we just see the balloons in the sky when I was walking to school. But, uh, I never really went to Santa Fe a couple times when I was a kid. And, I, you know, anyway, that's, that's right. what it is. Everyone can relate to that kind of stuff. Hey, I grew up in Hawaii, but i they give Island fever and they want to come hang out in Vegas. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird. <laughs> and by the way, on that note, is there something psychological to that? There must be something to this grass is greener everywhere else kind of thing. As we talk about individuals and business, uh, do you have any insights on that? Since we're talking about that,
1: yeah, I've I've noticed that happens. It's definitely not in my circle of research, but but it's definitely true, isn't it? We're always looking for some. We get we get uncomfortable, and I think it, it might have to do with our um, desire for growth. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. as humans, we're always looking for for growth. It's part of it's part of living a meaningful life, and we don't like to stagnate and i think that, that that might be that that sort of draw to we got to get out of here we got to we got to change our scenery we've got to we've got to make some changes to in order to make things happen
0: yeah it could just be we yeah that's a good insight it's like maybe we just get bored easily too like I'm in Vegas. Yeah. Lots of people love to just hang out in Vegas for a year or something because I've done it. But I'm not like at the casinos and strip mm. clubs and all that kind of stuff. I'm just in town. There's right. a lot more than just the strip. But anyway, it's an interesting thing for all of us to think about. But let's talk about you and let's talk about some of what your research uh, does focus on and and folks you work with. But let, let's first, if you don't mind, let's talk about some of your background. Obviously, we know you grew up in Baltimore. But, uh, what were some of the forces in your life that led you to this place uh, doing all this, and you know some of your story if you don 't mind
1: yeah so so thanks for asking. So my origin story is is really uh, kind of unusual uh, as it starts in ice cream, and people people always think, find that to be curious <laughs> um, but a, a bit over over a decade ago, I took over a ice cream parlor. It was a franchise. Um, up for sale and it seemed like a really cool opportunity um this ice cream parlor was was right smack in the middle of baltimore city uh which has Mm -hmm. you know when you think of of the inner city of baltimore that's got its own reputation and and television shows have been made of it and and things like that if any of you have seen the wire um but when i took over the ice cream store i was so prepared to learn everything i could about ice cream um but i ended up uh, sort of inheriting this crew of of kids and young adults that mostly came from the inner city of Baltimore. And they lived these lives that were so full of trauma. It was so... Uh, it was culture shock. It was so different from anything I'd ever experienced or even seen outside of my television.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we're talking about... We're talking about... Um, parents who were in jail or dead, siblings being gunned down on the street, mm. um, uh, the incarceration, police brutality, things like that. Like there was so much in their lives that was just unbelievable. And mm. over time, I really became close with these kids and started to learn their stories. And, and don't get me wrong, a lot of their stories were also beautiful, but it was one day this young lady that worked for me she was still in high school she was probably like 17 maybe a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and she came into work one day and was looking really down and I asked her what was going on because this was definitely not her normal personality she was usually very peppy and and having fun at work and uh, she told me, she turned to me, and I see tears coming out of her eyes, and she told me that she had found out that morning that her boyfriend, who happened to be in a local gang, uh, was found shot multiple times, and it, things didn't look good. Oh, so God. when I saw this, um, I say, well, you got to go. Like, go home, go be with him if you can, go be with family, friends, go somewhere where you can... Be with people you love, reflect on this, or go somewhere where you can forget about this and distract yourself from it for the day, but but go. And she refused to leave. And I understood that money was tight. And I told her, I will cover your shift, mm-hmm. but and, and I'll pay you for the day, but you have got to go. And she cut me off and she said, no, I need to be here. I can only be here. This is my happy place. Mm. And so I'm this young entrepreneur trying to figure things out in the business world and I'm hit with that and I remember the load of bricks put on my shoulders as I realized th- that the weight of being a leader, uh, the weight of of having employees that rely on you, of building a culture within a, an organization and I immediately began to reflect on all of my friends who were doctors and nurses and teachers and, and lawyers and and they dreaded going to work on Monday morning. And here is a 17-year-old girl making minimum wage coming from the inner city who considered work her happy place. That this is the one place that made sense to her, where she felt empowered. Mm. And so that drove me back to school, even though I am not naturally a good student. I'm like, I i had this new thirst for knowledge that I've spent nearly a decade pursuing to learn as much as I could about what, what is it that burns some people out? Why is it that the most meaningful jobs, objectively meaningful jobs, tend to have higher levels of burnout than other occupations? What, why was this girl able to be so engaged in her work while others uh, would rather you know, be at the Department of Motor Vehicles than, than report to work in the morning?
0: Yeah, that's that's a kind of crazy story. So, in your background, number one, obviously this must say something about you as a leader and the the environment and culture that you fostered at uh, at your place of business there. But also from what you're saying, this inner city, you know, deep inner city uh, experience wasn't really what you were used to. It sounds like, uh, yeah, prior to this this ice cream place, um, right. Hmm. So, so you went back to school and uh, what, what did you decide to focus on in terms of that? Yeah, so I studied IO
1: psychology, which is industrial organizational psychology mm-hmm. um, and business psychology, really trying to get into the psychology of what makes people tick at work, what motivates people at work, what is work really, and, and more importantly, what can work be for people? And so, my specific uh, focus of research is on employee burnout and meaningful work, and the interactions
0: between the two. Okay, interesting. So, uh, th- this is like the main thing. This ice cream shop. There was. It sounds like. I mean, this is a relatively new. I don't know your age exactly, but you say in the last ten years. So. Um, what were you doing before the ice cream situation if you don 't mind me asking
1: yeah, before that I was a serial entrepreneur okay. i um I owned a series of of different businesses when when those Segway personal scooters came out i was i was uh, I opened up a tour company with a buddy giving tours on those things. Work for me was always fun I was you know from Segways to ice cream to event planning like everything I did was, was fun. Like I always wanted people to find joy in what they did. And to your previous comment of you must've been doing some things right within the ice cream is it was, it was that I didn't know that I was wrong. You know, I, I sort of, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to give a key to the place to a girl from the projects, you know, on her 16th birthday and, and make her a shift supervisor at 16 years old yeah. Uh, luckily she was just as ignorant she didn't know i wasn't supposed to do that either so we broke all the rules together <laughs> and just treated each other like human beings and treated our customers as human beings and it was never about ice cream it was about making people happy and brightening baltimore city In a, it just even if it was just in our little corner of the city yeah and uh and so it was it was completely uh, our Our mission was so deep and and the work we did was transformed because of it
0: yeah, well, and I think that uh, what you just said really says a lot about an organization because you were trying to you were trying to make it people 's happy, joyful place as well and uh, w- What is it about that kind of having a purpose in business and maybe individually in life in general? that uh, is so important, you know, foundationally. We have books out there and we've talked on the podcast before about, and you've probably heard of some of these start with why and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of your ice cream business and maybe business in general, why is that important?
1: Yeah. I love, I love Simon Sinek, Sinek and, and his, and his start with why. Love it. And I I reference it often. Um, But yeah, I think it's, I think it's extremely important for, A number of reasons. And I've studied meaningfulness through the psychological research, and I've also studied it in other sort of less usual ways. One day, uh, I decided that I was just going to book a week talking to clergy and asking them the question, what's my purpose? Uh, Generally, what is an individual's purpose? And I set an appointment with a rabbi, a priest, a pastor, and an imam not all together. I didn't want to get them all in a room. I don't think I'd ever get out of that room. Uh, But I set individual appointments with each one. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this. And what was so fascinating to me was that they all sort of um, described an individual's purpose in very similar ways, that their theological sort of take on a meaningful life was one that every individual has sort of their own gifts and their own talents that, that might be innate and yeah. that they bring to the table and that they need to use these to fulfill some sort of, uh, some sort of personal mission that fills in with the mission of those around them so that uh, it's like we're all part of the same body, but there is only one heart and one brain and a right arm and a left arm, and we all play our separate roles Mm-hmm. And when you look at work, what is work if not coming together and using your talents in, within these diverse groups yeah. in order to have this magnified impact on the world? And when you look at the psychology of meaningfulness, you look at theories of, of meaningfulness that are about the balance between the self and others and the balance between being and doing and you see these, these tensions of sort of taking care of ourselves, but also having this external, this externalness that we're reaching out to improve the world. And all of that stuff ties so nicely into what work can, and I would argue should be for all of us as we spend over half of our waking hours there. And by the way, now that we are teleworking, our, uh, many of us are working longer hours than ever before in our lives.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point too. You just made a whole bunch of great points. Uh, number 1, I like the whole heart and mind uh, analogy in the body because there's only one mind and one heart and so that's real important that you have that congruent for, throughout the organization. So, uh but uh yeah, real important stuff that that you're talking about. Why why is it uh this heart and mind thing and and also I mean you've heard probably other books or read books such as uh Good to great and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it talks a lot about getting the right people. How important is having the right people in an organization? And and by the way, whether someone listening is in business or not, or maybe aspiring entrepreneur or something, all these kinds of principles apply everywhere. It applies in a marriage. It applies in families. It applies, you know, in your yoga class. It's it's all the same kinds mm-hmm. of principles. But for but it, talk about the right people. Why is that so important? Assuming it is. <laughs> according to some authors right, and stuff, so, it is. <laughs> right,
1: right. right. Some people say you could fill in uh, any people and just get them in and train them and, and get them to do the job by finding the right uh, carrots and sticks. And I think that that's, that that's a very old-fashioned view of work. You're, we're not just throwing people on an assembly line anymore. Uh, the nature of work has changed and the nature of our expectations of work has, have changed. But Collins, good to great, great is a, is a great example. He talks about getting the right people on the bus and then getting them in the right seats, right? And uh, all of that is, is extremely important to find somebody who is the right uh, culture fit. And that can be, that can be very, very uh, misleading and tricky because we also want to foster diversity because uh, not only is diversity the right thing to do culturally legally etc but it is also the best thing to do for your organization uh, with that concept of one heart one mind what it's about getting people who complement each other within their skills and you don't want to foster a place that has groupthink etc but you want somebody That has an organizational fit, that the values are congruent, that everybody has the same values and the same passion. So in my ice cream parlor, if there's somebody who their work value is they just want to come in and get a paycheck with the least possible sort of uh, commitment on their part and they want to just then go home and that's it. That would not be an organizational fit where I had an ice cream parlor where it was about more than just ice cream. And it was about really connecting with that deeper mission and purpose. So somebody like that wouldn't be the right fit, even if their skill set lined up perfectly with, with scooping ice cream or w- whatever it is. So, so it's, it's really important to find the right fit for the organization. It's also extremely important finding the right fit for the individual, because if the individual doesn't find that it's the right fit, it's never going to, it's never going to feel right to them and they're going to end up burning out and, and either leaving you or being really disengaged throughout their, their tenure at the organization. People want to be able to use their best selves at work.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I, and, and it really, <clears throat> excuse me, goes to the core of what we are as people, because I think we all want purpose. Nobody, nobody really wants that job that you described of, hey, I'm just going to collect a paycheck. And then I go, because people get to a place where there's miserable because at, at a core, for whatever reason, psychologically and uh, evolution or whatever, we want purpose. We want meaning. Uh, and even if that's, right. quote unquote, just at an ice cream shop or working at AT&T or whatever jobs people have that's maybe not their own deal yet maybe they want to do something on their own at some point but you can still find purpose like we had someone on the podcast talking about you know we were talking about Taco Bell for some reason um, and, <laughs> and uh, they said well you could it's how it's all how you frame it you could just say hey, I'm just there making burritos right. collecting a paycheck or hey I'm feeding feeding people feeding families and uh nourishing them to whatever extent taco bell can do that but it's it's uh framing it with some some maybe more deeper purpose than just money is money a good enough reason in business or in jobs in general Uh, talk to me if you don't mind i know i'm putting you on the spot because i have questions just pop in my head too what what about money uh as far as a purpose and and maybe other purposes tied into that what are your thoughts
1: yeah i think We are in a place in society where work has traditionally been very transactional. So we put in our hours and we take home a paycheck. And when you look at the place where we are uh, psychologically as a people, we go to work and we sort of, way too many of us, clock out of life and into work. And when we're at work, we're there eight, nine, ten hours a day like I said, over half of our waking hours, we are at work and we're disconnected from our greater desires because we see it as just a means to an end. So we go to work, we, we, do the, we do the bare minimum, we get our paycheck, and then at night we come home and we are so exhausted and feel so spent because we did, we unplugged, we disconnected from from our greater purpose, whatever, however, we might view that. And so we come home and we self-medicate and we do it through sometimes illicit drugs, but often through alcohol, often through just turning on the TV to numb it all out and just watch TV for a few hours before, before hitting the bed and doing it all the next day. Like why are we going to work just to finance our weekends? And (laughs) you're absolutely right. So much of it has to do with the mindset. So a lot of people are holding off, especially younger people looking for a job. They want that perfect dream job, et cetera. But while leadership needs to work hard to align the values when you're selecting employees and, and make, the, make the values very palatable and and make sure that that people are very aware of them and everything that the organization does aligns with the values etc that all is very important but as an individual when you go to work just like that guy at taco bell one of my first jobs i was uh pre-veterinary before i realized that to be a vet you needed physics and chemistry it wasn't all just like petting dogs and i'm not a science guy uh (laughs) physical science guy so i'm like uh So, but, uh, but I was working a lot in kennels and vet offices and things like that. And I remember just as a really young kid, you know, uh, uh, early college, so maybe 20 years old, 19 years old. I remember being in this kennel and I am pooper scooping Mm -hmm. right next to one of my coworkers. And in that moment, I noticed that the two of us were going through the exact same motions and to a bystander, we might've looked like we were doing the exact same job. But while she was picking up poop, (laughs) I was creating this clean environment to keep these dogs and cats or, or make them healthy Right. I was caring for them. And then after pooper scooping, where she went off to the break room, I went over to the kennels and would pet the dogs and cuddle with them and, and be there for them because I was job crafting. I decided I'm going to take this on this extra role on within my own job to really, to really embrace that. Yeah. Um, so the problem is the mindset of employers and, and the employees themselves uh, and, and our society, how, how in general, um, we've, we've mixed it up. And there's a great experiment. Dan Pink actually talks about this experiment in his book Drive, which is one of my absolute favorite books. Uh, but there was a, a great experiment where they offered people money as an incentive, and then they took the incentive away and so they had two groups one uh, was asked to do some sort of puzzle or answer these questions etc whatever it was and uh, every correct answer they would get a little bit of money the other group was just asked to do the puzzles and the, the group that was offered the money did better than the group that was not offered the money because it was a great incentive they then called them back another day And this time they had them both do puzzles and did not offer that first group the money. No, no group was offered money this time. And the group that was offered the money and then they came back and were not offered the money anymore. That second trial, they did worse than any of the other of the four trials. (laughs) And that's because when you create this incentive and make it about the money, it is so difficult to then take that away. And this is just, I mean, this is, this is basic social science. The way we see ourselves, we watch our own behaviors to determine who we are and what our motives are. So when we take that check, we, we often, or we're in that job interview we, and we accept them the, and the money is the big final conversation and we accept it for that money. If, if it's not clear that we're doing this for something beyond that, we begin to recognize that that's the incentive that that's why we're here that it's about the money that's who we are we're there to to collect the paycheck
0: yeah that's that's really really interesting and uh you know it occurs to me everything you're talking about whether it's the pooper scooper situation or whatever again as we said you know, I like stuff that's universal, like like I said earlier about whether it's parenting or other things. All this stuff applies in all these areas. That's what's beautiful about humanity. It's like, yes, it might be a little bit different, different context in business. You're trying to support a family and stuff too. But you know, even even when it comes to parenting, like you were telling me before we started, you have five kids. It's like, yeah, you gotta you gotta quote unquote be the pooper scooper there when they're babies. You've got to deal with breaking stuff and impatience and tantrums. And but if you look at it as instead of just getting upset like oh this is my opportunity both to train myself to be more patient and i'm raising good adults who are going to contribute to society it's almost like well i can reframe this and not be crazy i don't mean to go off on a tangent i'm just it occurs to me from a parenting because i've got kids too but um right and and not a
1: tangent at all you're absolutely right it is it is all of this stuff it's universal because we are one person just because we clock into work does not mean, okay, now we're the employee version of ourselves. It doesn't have to mean that.
0: So yeah. you're absolutely
1: right. All these principles are absolutely the same at home and our relationships, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And that's real important to remember. Cause we've, we've talked about that before too. It's, you don't just like have your business life and your family life. It's, this is your life and how important having said that, cause I wanted to ask you this anyway. So it's a good segue. Uh, having said all that, um, how important is it to have boundaries between these areas because we talk about people working from home so much uh people i for one have been doing it a lot on the phone all day sitting in in my home office situation and stuff um but (laughs) because you said at the same time people are working more hours than ever is that possibly because there's no boundary like well i'm at home and i'm working so i might as well just work till midnight rather than whatever other normal time I might otherwise at the office or how important is it to have boundaries? Even though you have one life, how important is it to kind of compartmentalize certain areas? Yes, they can be interrelated to an extent, but how how important are the boundaries if they are at all?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, like most things in psychology and in life, it depends. So, it turns out that, that we have different Um, uh, different preferences for how much, how much, how how many boundaries or how high those boundaries are, uh, between life outside of work and and our work life, and you see, it's very, it's it's really buzzworthy this this concept of work life integration, which is because uh, millennials and and Gen Z like these younger employees. Um, not that millennials are so young anymore, but, but these earlier generation em- employees, uh, younger generation employees, they're looking for, they're asking for more work-life integration. Like, why do I have to be there from nine to five? Like, why does it have to start at nine and end at five? Why can't I, you know, <laughs> get online for a couple hours in the morning and work from home and then head out and et cetera, and just, and just sort of integrate all of it together, uh, why, why can't I do that? And, and the, the answer is, well, you probably can do that now. And we knew this even before Corona because we've got the technology for it now where we never have in the past. Sure. Uh, and then with Corona, it was sort of forced on most of us where suddenly we're working from home. And like you said, it's much, it's much harder. I have to take the break to make lunch for my kids. I have to you know, uh, set meetings at different times around nap time. Or whatever it is, it becomes much more difficult uh, to set up boundaries. And especially if we're not mindful of it and our employers are not mindful of it, that can be a real difficulty. So the question is these boundaries versus uh, versus the integration. And that's gonna that's gonna differ on the individual. And that's why it's so important for employers to understand that and to communicate, and for you as an employee to communicate. Communicate with your manager to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Don't assume that what you want is what your manager is assuming you want. Uh, you might want more integration. You might need or want more boundaries. Uh, that needs to be communicated explicitly. Uh, I I would generally suggest that people set up boundaries of some sort, though, uh, just for their psychological well-being. Being, there's what we call the dark side of meaningful work, where people that have very meaningful, like they've got this job as a calling, they feel this connection to their work, oftentimes will overdo it and overcommit and can be taken advantage of and or take advantage of themselves really. And you see their work everything goes into work and then around them, their life is crumbling, their relationships are crumbling. Yeah. Uh, so I'd suggest that even if you think you don't need boundaries to put them in, but only you can determine what kind of boundaries are best for you and, and you need to have those conversations with your employer.
0: Yeah, great, great points. That's, that's probably why it's real important to constantly be reassessing. Uh, we, we've talked about this analogy before. I've heard some people who are pilots, you know, flying planes, going from point A to point B in an airplane is really just a constant process of, of making corrections, because oh, we got to mm-hmm. keep steering this way. It keeps to get from Atlanta to New York or whatever the flight is. Uh, right. Because these little things and the turbulence and stuff. I think that's a great analogy just for everything. Really, marriage is business and everything, mm-hmm. and your own self individually, especially because you talk about this is kind of an individual thing to reassess. Okay, where am I at, and how does how does my what I'm doing with my life relate to all these areas of importance of uh, roles of influence as Stephen Covey might say. Uh, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. where am I coming up short so that we can, you know, constantly be making corrections, making adjustments as we go and, and realize that's part of life. Things are going to get off course. For us perfectionists of which I am uh, it's, there's some comfort in that to just kind of let loose a little bit and realize, okay, we've got to constantly make, be making corrections anyway. And that's part of the perfect process, at least in this, this mortal realm, regardless of our religious beliefs and stuff, right. it's going to be part of it. So um, what about from a leadership standpoint, what tips do you have for leaders? I've learned all kinds from great leaders in my life. I've been fortunate to have some really, really great leaders in various ways around me. And uh, mm-hmm. what does it take to be a great leader? I know it's a very broad question, but dig where you want with that. Where, <laughs> what does it take to be a great leader, David,
1: Yeah, it is a a very broad question, but uh, some of the first things that come to my mind are uh, communication. You need to be constantly communicating and know that just because you're wearing that leadership hat does not mean that you have all the answers. What I find is that leaders uh, typically fall someplace on this continuum from sort of being insecure to being overly confident. And leaders really need to navigate that and be somewhere in between. Uh, To be a great leader, I think, is to be a servant leader and to do everything we can to maximize the performance of our employees by being there to remove barriers for them. Let them empower them to do the job that you hired them to do and be there to help enable that. There's so many things that get in the way there's interpersonal conflict, there's bureaucracy, there's coronavirus, right? There's so many things that, that's, that get in our way often from doing the job that we signed up to do that maybe we're passionate about doing. Uh, leaders really need to play this role of and understanding when oftentimes when people become leaders, they're sort of promoted into it. And there's this concept called the Peter Principle where uh, people are, are promoted to their level of incompetence. Somebody's a great salesperson, so you make them a sales manager, even though maybe they, those two roles have very conflicting uh, skills and abilities associated with them. True. Uh, what, a, what a leader needs to understand is when they are in that employee role and they're trying to impress and they're trying to stand out, that's one thing. When you become a leader, it's no longer about being at the center of the stage. It's about controlling the spotlight and making sure that everyone else looks amazing. And I think that that's what great leaders do. They sort of stand back and do everything
0: they can to bring out the full potential of those around them. Yeah, that's some great points there. It's, uh, it reminds me, I saw, and I don't remember, so I'm not going to try to butcher a quote, but I, I, in fact, of all people, I saw Denzel Washington <laughs> talk about mm-hmm. uh, leadership. And one of the things he said in this quote was about leading from the back. And uh, yeah you know, we think of a leader as, okay, I'm taking the front and everyone follow me, but uh, there's something to be said, I think symbolically and just in general about leading from the back, because like you said, make everyone else look great, be a servant leader, um, let people flourish within the confines of whatever their respective, you know, roles and responsibilities are um, and then be there okay. to serve, help and lift along the way. But uh I think there's something to be said for that. What do you have any thoughts on that? Leading from the back versus the front, or is that uh, is that topic making? Yeah, sense? I think. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I think I think it does. You think of a leader as the one who puts themselves out there. In in a lot of ways, the leader is in front in terms of the general running in front and putting themselves at risk. Right you you don't you don't throw your soldiers in front of you and let them get down. You you're the one who's who's sort of taking the risk and protecting them and and taking the bullet for them when needed. And and so in that sense, you want to be in front. But in the other sense, it's absolutely sort of get the right people on board, you know, back to the getting the right people on the bus and in the right seats, Mm -hmm. get the right people on board and then get out of their way. Yeah. And not just get out of their way, get everything else out of their way. They're there to do the job you hired them to do. And so often ego that is ultimately tied into insecurity gets in the way of the leader. There's, there's this idea that the leader thinks that if they don't appear fully competent at all times, if they don't appear that they have all the answers, then what role are they playing as a leader? that they'll be seen as a fraud. It's sort of this um, imposter syndrome. They they don't believe that they really, deep down, they, they believe that they're just sort of making this up as they go along, and they don't want to be exposed as an imposter. Uh, but the truth <laughs> is, in leadership, oftentimes less is more. You do have to get to the back and just let your people do what they're there to do and not just let them, but be there to to serve them. And that's why the first thing I said was communication. And, you know, when we talk about uh, the the most valuable commodity that a leader has, uh, it's trust. And you build trust through vulnerability. You build trust by being human. What I say to my consulting clients a lot is, that when we think we need to know everything and so we start posturing like we're the expert we know it all we're the one at the wheel so we need to be in control all the time the people that work for you know that you don't always have the answers you can fake it all you want they know that so much of that is just bs they know that you don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. so the way to build trust is not by acting like it's all about you and you've got all the answers. The way to build trust is to be vulnerable, is yeah. to ask people for support, to ask them what they need, to ask for feedback. That's yeah. how you lead. Yeah,
0: great, great points. And, it, and I love the idea what you said towards the beginning of, of all this too about being between insecurity and uh, you know overly confident. And, and so yeah. it's kind of finding this constant balance in all those areas of being there to serve and being vulnerable and uh, and also, you know, people talk a lot about micromanaging. I think there's an element of insecurity where maybe you're leaning to that end of the spectrum if you want to micromanage. Yeah. And so it, there's something to be said, again, families, business, whatever, in letting, letting people make choices, as hard as that is for some of us insecure people. And I've been yeah. that way too, you know, and some of that comes from my childhood right. and things. I felt like I was out of control. Sometimes I feel like I have to control stuff. But as you become an adult, you realize, well, you can't just control People, <laughs> yeah, you, you can lead, and you right. can you can love, and you can be vulnerable. But uh, how how do leaders? When we're talking about all this, the, we talk a lot about the word culture, and it's been thrown around a lot, especially in the last couple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all kind of understand in general what the word culture means, but how does that apply in a business setting, especially? And uh, what what is a leader's role in in that <laughs> process?
1: Right, so I talk a lot about the your culture being your unwritten values. Imagine that that employee handbook The culture is the employee handbook that is not written down it 's the norms uh, the values, the things that are driving behaviors right and um, and culture shows up in, in so many different ways, and oftentimes it 's the culture comes out of mirroring. It's not something that you can always dictate. It's something that you need to experience and your employees need to experience. And, and that's where it comes from modeling. And yeah. one of the things that I often talk about is, uh, is we talk about the five powers and people often only think about legitimate power. This is uh, French and Raven's early research on power and authority. Uh, we think about legitimate authority, and legitimate authority means that I'm at a certain point on the org chart and therefore I'm in charge. I used to get employees that would come to me and ask me to make them a manager. And my response would always be, I have never made anyone a manager. All I've done is given them the title when, once they already showed themselves to be a manager. And in fact, I would give them that book that I mentioned earlier, Dan Pink's Drive on Motivating People right? And, yeah. uh, and tell them to read that and let's have a conversation about it. But what, what my point was to them was that a leader, like the title only gets you enough power. What, what we find is when people have legitimate power and they tell their employees to do something, the employee might act in that way until the leader turns their back, until the leader is out of the room and then we'll go right back to what makes sense for us. But real leaders have this referent power. It's sort of like the fons, right? It's like people yeah. just want to follow you. you. You seem authentic and you seem like you, you know what you're, what's going on and you respect others and they just want to follow you. Um, coupled with this expert power sometimes that you just have some level of expertise that people respect. But really that, that referent power, you, you've, it's why there are so many leaders within organizations that don't have the title. And so many people who have the title of manager who, if we're being honest, are not really leaders. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think I think referent leaders, these these leaders who are are true leaders are the ones that lead the way uh, through their own actions and other people just want to follow. And that's and that's how you impact culture
0: yeah that's interesting and it occurs to me the thought i like analogies you said this thing about the body earlier about the heart and the mind and all these parts. Mm-hmm. Um, is it safe to say from a cultural standpoint that the culture is the heart and mind there's no like the leader's not the heart and mind, is it or or some other part or the hr department or something it's It's really the culture that you build is the heart and mind, isn't it or what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah no i love I love that i I think the leader uh, a great leader makes for a great symbol. Uh, Tony Shea uh, recently passed away in a tragic fire, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. He was the head of Zappos, and um, I oh, believe yeah. it, his book was called "Delivering Happiness." A great book, so if you want to learn about culture, and Tony Shea was an amazing uh, symbol. For Zappos, a symbol for what the culture was. But the culture, by definition, was not about Tony Shea. The culture was about individuality. So, yeah, I think the the leader, a great leader is the symbol, but they aren't the star. It's, they aren't the culture itself. No, I, I think you're absolutely right.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And, and you know, it occurs to me uh, as we talk about the right people as well one of the things that you uh talk a lot about with your clients and your people and your great community is um attracting retaining and motivating top talent how do we do that how do we because again you're only as good as the people in your organization really you're only as strong as your weakest link kind of thing too so how do we strengthen and get top talent and you know like like you say attract and motivate and all those things
1: yeah, so I think all of that ties into the culture that we build. Uh, to attract good talent and select the best talent that come in, we have to understand, uh, and I think, I think daily leadership, we have to understand uh, our biases. You know, I'm from Baltimore, and if I'm watching a football game, uh, Ravens versus Steelers with somebody from Pittsburgh, and there's a flag that's that's thrown on a play i guarantee you that me and my buddy from pittsburgh will see the play in a fundamentally different way we will see (laughs) the flag in a fundamentally different way neither one of us will be lying to each other neither one of us will be consciously lying to ourselves but unconsciously we will only be able to confirm our own biases. And so we will see the play in a way that favors our team. And we have to be aware of these biases that we have. And that's why as much as culture is soft and and sort of squishy, it needs to be coupled with the right processes to make sure that it works. So when you are selecting employees, if it's just, oh, I get a good feel of this person. I can't tell you how many clients have told me that, they, that they're just good judges of character when they're selecting employees. And I look around, I'm like, you called me because you have crazy employee turnover, and you're telling me you're a great judge of character. What's like the employees? And the truth is, maybe they are. Maybe they're a great judge of character. When I was, uh, when I was a young man living with roommates – uh, I roomed with a lot of really good friends, but did not remain friends with most of them after being roommates, because I would select them based on, yeah, I know, I love this guy. Like, we're we're tight, we're great, and I'm a great judge of character, right? But the question when choosing a roommate isn't like, isn't, oh, are we cool? Like, is this a friend of mine? The question should be, does this part- person pay their bills on time? <laughs> Do they clean up after themselves? Do they party late at night? Those are the relevant questions. And when we have these selection things where we select employees based on these unstructured interviews, we pull somebody into a room and we're like, are they a culture fit? Without having structured questions that really dig at the things that are important for them fitting in with the organization and the specific job, then we're getting off to the wrong, on the wrong foot. Um, That's why I have my own Um, burnout proof model where I start with selection because if you get that part wrong uh, you're setting everybody up for failure
0: yeah that's uh, that's all really great points I like your roommate analogy too and it's, you know, I went through a divorce, my dad tells me in the dating world, because he, you know, he's been single a lot of his life, but he said, not that any of us are experts, but one of the things is, he said, the person who's so fun is not necessarily the person that, that at least shouldn't be the first filter of the kind of person that you want <laughs> as your partner or whatever. Uh, it, it's same right. as a roommate, same in business. Hey, we're fun. We can all go at lunchtime and and have drinks at the bar or whatever, you know, people do. But what does that how does that right. translate in the business setting or in the roommate setting or the marriage relationship setting? So you gotta kind of yeah. read the into the deeper meaning of all this and then consequently shape your values accordingly. What do I value and and why and, and build around that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um boy, you brought a lot right. of great value here. We could there's so much we could talk about. What uh excuse me, as we get ready to close, um what final thoughts do you want to impart and how can folks get in touch with you and participate in in your programs and and you know I don't know if we use the word coaching, but talk to me. <laughs> what are yeah. final thoughts?
1: Yeah, so um people can get in touch with me through Um, my, my website, they can, they can, uh, I can give you a link to, uh, my burnout proof model. If they're interested, I'm very active on LinkedIn. They can find me at LinkedIn slash I N slash David Shar Um, I'm always looking for conversations, uh, to continue the conversation. Um, I speak throughout the, the world. A lot of it is right from my film studio now because of Corona uh, but i i 'm available for for things like that as well as uh consulting and and sometimes that one on one uh consulting as well but uh in terms of a final thought if you'll if you 'll allow it, I would love to share one of my favorite all time favorite stories with you that I think is really appropriate Please. to uh, what we 've been talking about and and what we 're going through so this is uh I always say that i uh, with as much money and time and effort that i 've put into earning my degrees. Uh, I've probably put more money, time and effort into raising my children. And so and I believe I've learned more from my children. And one day my wife was was coming home late at night from from uh, visiting her parents with what were who were my two oldest kids at the time. My son was about five years old and my daughter was two or three. Mm -hmm. And so they're driving home late at night. The car is completely silent. My son is in the middle seat looking out the window. And my daughter is in the very back in her car seat, um, presumably fast asleep. As they're driving in this totally quiet car, my son suddenly speaks up and says, Mommy, what's the purpose of deer? Turns out they passed this herd of deer and I guess it piqued his interest. And so he he asks this to my wife who who is a first grade teacher and a mother. So she knows exactly what to do with a question like that. And she turns it right back on him and says, I don't know, honey, what do you think the purpose of deer is? Classic move. Right. And so my, my son and my wife go back and forth talking about, adding grace to the world, keeping the bushes trimmed. He thought maybe it's to keep the foxes fed. I, I don't know what that's about. This was years ago. He's, he turned out okay anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they, they run out of ideas eventually and, there's, and their conversation dwindles off and the car goes silent again
0: mm-hmm. until
1: from the very back seat, they hear a small peep from my daughter who everyone thought was sound asleep. When she says, Mommy, What's my purpose? Mm-hmm. And my wife's mind starts spinning a million miles a minute thinking, what is Rena's purpose? Is she going to be the first female president of the United States? Is she going to find, discover the cure for cancer? Is she going to create the next Facebook? What's her purpose? And before she could utter a response, my five-year-old son from the middle seat responds, that's easy, Rena. your joy. That's your purpose you make people happy. (laughs) And I think what was happening there was that my wife, like me, like you, like all of us are indoctrinated to think that a purposeful life, a meaningful life is a life that gets you on the cover of Time magazine. Mm -hmm. And if we can't accomplish that, then better luck next time. Hope there's reincarnation. (laughs) Whereas my son understood what we all once knew, which is that that's not a meaningful life. A meaningful life is about being your authentic self and impacting those around you. And from there, through the butterfly effect, they impact others who impact others who impact others until lo and behold, the entire world has changed in a fundamental way. And you may never even know about the impact that you had. Yeah. And so when we talk about empowering humans and when we talk about what it means to live a meaningful life, and especially in the context of Corona, where we all may have had these big plans and we were working toward things and suddenly those things are, are side-railed and we get sidetracked from those from those big plans and, and things don't work out the way that we expected or wanted. I think it's really un- important to understand this concept that really that's, that's just icing on the cake, but, but it all starts just with your daily interactions with people mm. at work, at home, in all of your relationships.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful and really powerful uh, stories. Some of the most simple stories are some of the most beautiful and profound. And uh, I love, and that I think underscores a ton of what we've talked about here Um, and and finding great meaning in these small moments. We talk a lot. I always challenge people in our podcast, make great moments. And that's one of those ways it's so easy to let these things pass Mm -hmm. by before, you know, what these three and five-year-olds, I think you said, are are 10 and, Mm -hmm. you know, 13 or 12, whatever, and then and 20s and beyond uh, and just savoring yeah. those moments. But man, what a beautiful thing. I think joy is really an important kind of core thing for all of us. We've talked before. Someone taught me that the word joy in Hebrew refers to an alignment. And just talk about aligning, like you just said there at the end, aligning all these areas as best we can and making adjustments like the pilot along the way. Goodness gracious. It's a, yeah. You can have a powerful life and it doesn't have to be on the cover of Time Magazine or some other, you know. Comparable thing like that, and if it does, fine. Right. If not, fine. <laughs> that's that's right. not. It's where you find value. So let's reshape what value and meaning really is, too. Especially in American society. Mm. Uh, well, David, man, thank you so much. We're gonna have to do this again. Um, I know you're, you you got places to go and things, but um, thank you so much again. Let's reach out on the website. We'll have links in the in the show notes and all that. And. Uh, Until next time for our audience, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.